Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. In this episode of Scaling Up, an occasional series we have, Rocky L. Woods, director of NCAT's Gulf States Regional Office in Jackson, Mississippi, talks with Dr. Bill Evans, director of horticulture at Up and Farms Food Hub in Jackson, Mississippi. Rocky L. and Bill discuss land and water considerations when scaling up a farm. You'll hear about how to determine the best use for land and the economic feasibility of scaling up. They also talk about the importance of the source and quality of water for your operation. Let's listen. Hello, I'm Raquel Woods with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. I'm the Gulf State Director out of Jackson, Mississippi. And I have here Dr. Bill Evans, who's a vegetable soil scientist with Up and Farms Food Hub in Jackson, Mississippi. And today we'll be talking about the scaling up process, but we're going to also talk about land and water. So Dr. Evans, um, tell me what you think about when you think of a farmer that's scaling up and you think about land and water, what are some of the things that come to mind for a farmer that wants to scale up, uh, that has the land, that has water, or if he doesn't have water or doesn't have enough land, or let's just talk along those lines there. Those are exactly the first uh, things that come to mind, actually. Uh, Rock, and uh, thank you for having me here again. Um, that's part of the self-assessment that the farmer has to do uh, as part of scaling up. Before you can dive into new markets and dive into new crops, you really have to assess and determine where where you stand with your land and your water. Everything else you can acquire, but it's very difficult to acquire um, uh, to grow more crops on a piece of ground than the, than the land will support. And it's very hard to uh, grow certain crops without water or without the right quality of water. Here in the Gulf states, we're blessed. The quality of the water in most of the Gulf states is very high for irrigation and surface waters and well waters. In the West, where some folks might be listening, there's uh, there's some saline water, which means it has salt in it, uh, or there's pH issues with the water that can influence how it behaves with chemistry. We have some of that here in the East, but we'll talk all about that. We'll talk... Um, about both quantity and quality of land and water today. Okay, so when we when we talk about land, I know one of the things our office receives is a lot of calls from people that that as that say normally, "Hey, I've acquired X amount of acres. What can I do with it?" Or, or, "Hey, I have forty acres. Um, what would you recommend that I grow?" Or, I know we're talking about scaling up, but when we talk about small farmers that have been farming with uh, vegetable crops and they all of a sudden want to you know try to commercialize it what would be some of the things we would talk about with them first when it comes to the land well first we have to decide how much you know we have to know how much land we have how much is already in production how much is not suitable for production and how much more that we're not producing something on might be suitable for a given crop and let's say a farmer has 10 acres right and they've got a three acre homestead on that with the house and maybe a couple of outbuildings and a lawn for for uh, the family um, and a driveway and all that stuff. And that three acres really isn't usable as part of the 10 acres. So that goes right out the question. 
So now they're left with seven. And then you go and you and you wonder, well, we've got, let's see, we're already producing vegetables on four acres of that. So now we only have three acres left. But in that three acres, we may have a road that can't be moved or we don't want to move. We may have slopes that are inappropriate for growing. There may be cover that's there that we either want to maintain or can't easily change. Um, so that's so. So you have to assess the basic land that you start with, and as you're thinking about scaling up, and we're going to integrate all of this over time over the course of these podcasts. We'll talk about how this integrates into economics and things too. Okay. Um, but it's very important to scratch a pencil to a paper and figure out the money involved in all of this. The money in both establishing new cropland as well as um, maintaining it and how that's going to flow into your total cash flow for the market. So let me ask you this. You just mentioned if we had four acres. Is, is four acres enough for farming to be commercialized, to be a commercial grower at least? Uh, we kind of touched on, on that in a couple of the other presentations that we've done. We'll touch on, and that's a great question for each. We can ask that each and every time we do one of these, and it's a really good question. Um, if you're growing a very high-value crop, say cut roses, four acres is, is a fortune's worth of cut roses. We don't grow many cut roses in this country uh, because we don't have the labor uh, to manage the roses. But a cut rose crop can be worth a million dollars an acre. So it just depends on the crop. Whereas if you're growing four acres of, uh, of say, mustard greens, mm -hmm. which is a common crop here down in the south, since they only yield about ten, uh, about fifteen hundred dollars maybe in profit a year. Um, is that per acre or per acre? Okay. So you're talking four times fifteen hundred is six thousand dollars in profit a year. And if you're really good, you might be able to double that if you had some retail sales and all that. But that's still not enough. And we're talking about scaling up. So we're moving from hobby in a lot of these instances. We're moving from hobby and part time to a full time commercial operation. And you really, you think about it, $12,000, $6,000, $12,000 a year in income, in net income, that was net that I was talking about, isn't really enough to pay a mortgage, uh, to live comfortably in today's world, and, uh, and to uh, save for the future. So in that case, the answer is no. But if you had four acres, and I don't mean to belong, uh, make this longer, but it's really important. Yeah. If you had four acres of mixed vegetable crops that you were selling at retail or close to retail or that you were doing value added to some of that crop through the cottage industry laws or for those that wanted to get into commercial production, um, and cottage industry means uh, a lot of states have cottage industry laws that allow small quantities of home-cooked foods, certain kinds of home-cooked foods, to be sold at retail mm -hmm. within the state. Uh, some states don't have it, but most do these days. But that or commercial production where you actually have an inspected kitchen and, and, and certifications for the pre pre preparation and all of that, that can be sold interstate, um, all those things. All those things add value to the crop. One acre of tomatoes at retail can be worth forty dollars or $50,000. And half of that will be profit for a very good grower. So if you had an acre of tomatoes and a quarter acre of herbs and a quarter acre of cut flowers and another acre of mixed vegetables, that four acres could conceivably provide a family with a nice, modest income. Um, however, most of us don't have that kind of production. Right. So so when we talk about production, I know we, we kind of skipped a little bit, but I know it starts. everything starts with the soil first. 
So is there a certain pH the soil needs to be at? Or should we go in and try to build the soil up? Or do we build it up over time? Or uh, what are the recommendations you think? Well, there's some really great soil and and choice tools as we're scale as we're thinking about scaling up and changing our farm. Yes, pH is very important. There's only a few crops that do well at a pH that is what's on the basic side above seven: blueberries, cranberries, um, azaleas. Okay. Um, well, what are the basic? Then, what's the basic pH that we kind of look for here in in Mississippi? So. So basic is actually a real pH term, so I have to be careful using it. Basic soils have a pH above 7, and okay. acidic soils have a pH below 7. Ideally, in our area, in Mississippi and the Gulf states, most people like to keep their soils between 5.8 and 6.5 for most vegetable crops. That's what we like to do. Okay. And so that's part of your early assessment, is how much land do I have that's not going to need too much amendment or change um, uh, uh, and can be easily maintained in the ideal pH range. Um, so that's really important. One of the other questions would be, before you scale up, is what's the slope of that soil? What's the, Generally, when we start a farm, we tend to pick the nicest pieces of ground to open first, mm-hmm. and, we, and we do that. So your first ground might have been the best ground of that, ten, that imaginary 10 acres we started with earlier today. Right. Um, so then you look around and you say, well, um, it looks like I have another two out of the ten where the slope isn't too bad, and I can open it up. Um, and, of course, we know that slope, more than two or three, sometimes you get away with 5%, uh, and it's hard to cultivate that for annual crops. Some of the slopes under 10%, and maybe even slightly above, you can use to grow fruit crops where you're not, once you do the initial cultivation to establish the orchard or the vineyard or the ranch of a nut crop field, you don't have to do much more cultivation. So that soil gets maintained in good health underneath that underneath those perennial plants. But for annual crops, vegetables, flowers, uh, and herbs, slope becomes really important as one of your considerations for considering the land that you own as well as any adjacent land that you might want to purchase. So in other words, are you saying that it's good to grow on a slope or slopey areas produce more depending on the type of crop you're using or uh, no it's actually best to have have minimal slope because you don't want to have erosion and you don't want to have too much water movement okay because because when water moves off the surface of the soil it carries with it soil particles as well as nutrients and fertilizers and if you're using um uh, both synthetic and natural pesticides it can carry those off to unwanted places too um, so we generally look for a vegetable ground to be less than about a 3% slope. Okay. Um, and orchard land to be less than 10 in, um, uh, in, in most cases. Um, with the depth of the soil being important too, and let me tell you about a tool that's out there that the NRCS has built. Okay. Um, all, if you go to a county extension office and you go and get those old white soil test books, Right. That have the soil survey. It's called the soil survey, and every county has one. And it's got all these great maps and all these. It's got a chart in there describing what each type of soil is best for in the county. Whether it'll be good for building a house on, whether it'll be good for a septic tank, whether it'll be good for tree farming, whether it'll be good for vegetable farming. It's all in those books. But that information is also now in the web soil survey for most places. Wow, okay. And I would encourage folks uh, to co- combine. Uh, the great NCAT resources that you all have on soils uh, and soil use 
with something like that resource that is um, that is an inventory of America's soils. And so the web soil so web soil survey is located on the NRCS website, you say? Yes, it is. And the easiest way to get there, I could give you the URL for it right now, but the URL may change. So I would just encourage listeners just to simply go and use their favorite search engine and search for Web Soil Survey. And it'll come up as one of the first couple of hits uh, in, uh, in any search engine. And then you click on it. It's a little wonky to use at times. So it might be, this is a great excuse to go into the USDA Service Center and say, can you teach me how to use Web Soil Survey? Um, but if, you're, if, you're, if you want to play with it for a few minutes in the house, you can try and mess around on the site and see if you can figure it out. Uh, but your NRCS Service Center would be very happy to help you with it. Okay. What if I have property with trees or just trees? Trees have a cover. So is it good to plant vegetables within trees? Uh, if I had a a farm and I had a tree farm, it, well, if you, you if you have forested land, okay, it can be cleared to grow vegetables. It'll take a year or two or three to get after you clear it to get the land to where it's producing what it's going to produce for the decades afterwards, because you still have residual roots and all of that stuff in it and humps and hollows that you get from pulling out stumps and all that stuff and it can be very expensive to hire someone to pull out to cut trees and pull stumps you can sell the wood in the trees and then uh, use the proceeds from selling the wood to hire someone to tear the stumps out or you could sell the wood the usable wood burn the rest of it and then um, and pull the stumps yourself and to die you're off to the races um, but it is it, that is a very big consideration, quote unquote, scaling up. Okay. So we scaling up. So scaling up has to do with the amount of land we own, the type of soil we have, and about the, the, the particular type of crop that I'm going to be planting, which is a, a high commodity crop. I know we talked about seeds on the last time, and seeds, a good quality seed is important to have, or a good commercial brand seed, or Oh. oh, absolutely. Yeah, high-quality seed for any of these endeavors as you're planning all of this scaling up stuff. High-quality seed and planting stock is critical. I can't speak more about I can't speak too highly of using varieties that grow well in your area, that provide the disease package, the disease resistance package that you have, the yield package that you need, and the taste and, and, and quality profile that your market wants. Something like sweet corn there are literally there are literally 2,000 sweet corns that I could buy tomorrow from various catalogs and websites around the country. Everything from the old Bantam uh, and, uh, and Stoll's Evergreen that is still out there from catalogs. That's 80-year-old seed, 80-year-old variety at least. The seed's not 80 years old, of course. Um, to new hybrids that are... Uh, that, um, have GMO traits or don't have GMO traits that have sugars that hold afterwards uh, after harvest so that they don't uh, get starchy in the fridge um, that are white that are yellow that are bicolor that have little red streaks in them there's sweet corns out there with little red streaks in them now um, and so it just depends on what you're going for but, I, but poor quality seed uh, will beget poor quality results and the cost of seed is such a minor part of the total cost of production right. that I, you know, it's, 
Um, I have right now at my house, I'm growing some flash collards. Flash is a high-end uh, variety of collards. Costs about 10 times, maybe 20 times as much as some of the old uh, non-hybrid collards. Uh, so that means I'm spending $20 in acorn seeds instead of $2 in acorn seeds. So that $18 is going to yield me 100 more boxes of collards per acre at $15 a box. That's $1,500 for $18. That's a pretty good trade. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I know we talked about scaling up, and when we think about it, once we scale up, one of the most essential things, I know right now in Mississippi, we probably hadn't had any rain in about a couple of months now. So is it important that if we're going to scale up that we have some mode, some method of at least of, of irrigating or watering the crop? Um, what would you suggest if I'm a commercial grower that should be important. Yeah, that, well, I'm a big fan if you're going to grow high-value crops, vegetables in the case of what we're talking about today, um, that you have access to high-quality water at adequate amounts to irrigate. So in the south here, we average over 50 inches of rain a year. For some of your, uh, some of the folks listening that are out west, that's three times as much water as they get out west in a year. You know, many places, you know, Colorado and things, 17, 18 inches of water a year is a lot. We get 50 inches, but it doesn't all come at once, and we do have periods like we're in right now. It has rained a quarter inch since uh, August 24th in Jackson, Mississippi, which is where we're sitting right now, only a quarter inch, and every single day of that period between now and it is now October 1st uh, when we're taping this, and uh, every single day during that period has been above 90 degrees. So we're losing almost two inches of water a week to evaporation and transpiration, and we've only had a quarter inch in a month, in a month and six days. Right. So as you're scaling up, you need to evaluate, do I have surface water that can be used for irrigation? That would be ponds or a stream. It's hard to get a permit to pull water out of a stream anymore. Uh, but surface waters can be used. There's some food safety issues developing with surface waters, so we can talk about that another time. Uh, but you made mention of ponds. Do you have to have um, um, permission to pull from ponds? Well, if you have your own pond on your own site, then you shouldn't have to have a permit to pull out of it. If it's a shared body of water, then you have to check and see what the permitting process is to use a shared use shared surface waters. Okay. Um, you need to have your water tested. Uh, you need to make sure if you're putting on fresh vegetables that you don't have animal access into that pond these days. And you need to make sure that there's adequate um, water in that pond to meet the irrigation needs that you have. Um, we measure irrigation water in acre feet. And an acre foot is just what it sounds like. It's a foot of water an acre in size. So that would be, in essence, 200 feet by 200 feet. That's this is a builder's acre, 40,000 square feet. So a foot deep, uh, a true uh, acre foot is 43,000 cubic feet of water, 43,560, I guess, cubic feet of water. Um, that sounds like a lot of water. It does. It sounds like a lot of water. But most ponds, even a half-acre pond, if it's three or four feet deep, you might have three or four acre feet of water in that pond. If you're going to water, and it gets complicated, but there are ways to calculate 
and and cat can help and uh and other resources can help and maybe at another podcast we'll go through how to calculate irrigation uh, volume and things like that but you need to size you need to make sure you, as you're sizing up as you're scaling up that you have enough water for the expansion that you're going to do but yes. there's also no reason why if you have a pond that can't be can't supply all the water for the new areas that you're going to bring into production or the new er- areas you're going to irrigate maybe you need to punch a well maybe you uh, and that's part of the evaluation too is, is maybe you need to punch a well down drill a well and then maybe you need to um, get an assessment of how much that might cost versus how much new production you'll have uh, using it right because if I if I had to scale up I mean what about municipal water? I mean, I'm pretty sure to run my water bill up at my house if I had to use municipal water, but is well, that safe? Municipal water generally is safe. Okay. Um, most municipal water is tested for uh, human pathogens, and, uh, and some of it has added chlorine and some of it has added fluoride. The fluoride is in very small quantities, and that's for our teeth. And the chlorine is there for sanitation, and very rarely does the chlorine level exceed... Uh, the sensitivity level of plants, and most of that chlorine will go off in the atmosphere after you, as you're putting the water down. There's a couple of sensitive greenhouse plants. Uh, people would know spider plants. Spider plants is very sensitive to chlorine in the water. So, um, but for this, it's really not a concern. The big concern with municipal water is the cost, and making sure you have the right permits and backflow prevention, because it would be a, a, a most most if you're going to use municipal water for irrigation you have to have what's called a backflow preventer and that prevents if there's a loss of pressure in the municipal pipes it prevents those pipes from sucking water out of your system into that system uh, because your system uh, is out on the soil and stuff and you might throw contaminants pull contaminants into their pipes so but the cost is the big issue with municipal water a thousand gallons of water what is that, 9 cubic feet, 11 or 12, it's like 12 cubic feet or something like that. It's not much water at all when you think about those numbers I was throwing out a minute ago with the with the acre feet and things. Municipal water just gets very, very expensive. Okay, so to sum it up, if I was scaling up and I had the correct amount of land and I had irrigation and I have to be on the right crop also, I could make a commercial profit or I, could, I should be able to pay a mortgage or a car note or something to that effect, right? So uh, That's where I recommend people go as they're considering scaling up from being a hobbyist to being commercial. They just need to evaluate what do I, how much net income do I need to live on comfortably for my family to uh, put food on my table, pay for my housing, pay for any utilities I have, replace my vehicles once in a while, treat myself once in a while, and then uh, save for long-term needs such as college education or retirement or medical care or whatever like that. Uh, all those things form the foundation for how big someone wants to get before they, as they make these decisions. Okay. Well, folks, that about sums it up with our podcast for Scaling Up. I'm Rakia Woods with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And I'm Bill Evans with the Up and Farms Food Hub here in Jackson, Mississippi. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening on, if you can, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Raquel Woods directly at rockw at ncat.org. That's R-O-C-K-W at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. 
In the notes below, you'll find links to ATRA resources and publications related to scaling up your farm. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, produce to livestock, and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at ATRA's website at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.